Hi, I'm Ann Matthews. And I'm Doran Greenwood. And you are listening to Civic Talk. We're joining forces, combining our years of experience as journalists and government hacks, and now amateur podcasters, to bring you a podcast about the public services we use every day. We want to pull back the curtain on how innovative public services are designed. We'll talk to the policymakers and the service innovators about what inspires them. So come take a peek inside the ivory tower with us. Hi, Anne. Hi, Doran. We're back. This is episode five. We've made it this far (laughs) and we need to thank all of our early listeners for tuning in uh, and supporting us in, in this, I don't know what you want to call it, the side hustle. Yeah, it's, it's a side gig. Uh, I think, thank you. Thank you so much, everyone who has been listening so far and has stuck with us. And we're, we now have sort of a new wind under our, um, our wings uh, to keep us going. And, and that's, that's the most exciting part. And, and if you're listening, definitely share with us some story ideas. We will happily take them probably from communicating with us through LinkedIn or Twitter is great uh, and spread the word. And yeah, it's all, it's all great. We're so happy you're with us. Yes. Thank you. So Sadly, we are still talking about COVID because it hasn't gone away and it is, yes, still dominating the headlines, uh, dominating our discourse. What we've noticed in the media lately are a lot of headlines about the pros and cons of vaccine passports. So we're going to have that little debate today between ourselves. Correct. Yes, I think it's a it's a really important topic as more and more people are vaccinated. We are looking around the world at who is who is bringing in vaccine passports and who is not. Right. So let's start from the question of why do we even need one now? Well, I think Doran, we do. Um, I think that we're at a tipping point now where we, with especially with new variants coming into the fore where people people need that sense of assurance when they're out and about, especially when they're getting on an airplane, uh, they're, they're traveling, or even in the workplace, that it's a safe environment. I think there is some degree of, I don't even know what you call it, mutual trust, that if you are going to be out in society you have taken responsibility for yourself and for the welfare of others by getting the other vaccines that have existed for so long. Polio, MMR, the ones that are maybe a little more contentious or flu, but there will be a lot of people who rail against this. So how, what is the argument that can be made to convince them that this is a good policy decision, that this is good for everyone? COVID-19 is different. Why wouldn't you get the vaccine? Let's talk about who might be responsible for creating them. Do you have any ideas, Anne? Well, I think it has to be government. It, it shouldn't be the responsibility of individual organizations to manage it. And you're going to have to have some consistency, especially when you're looking at it from the perspective of travel, so that it isn't just a, a patchwork. And I think that it, it has been a patchwork thus far, especially in countries like Canada, where, you know, my, my husband went to the pharmacy to get his vaccine. I went to um, a hospital for my, my first dose. And then for my second dose, I went to public health. 
And so even what we got back, like in terms of the physical documentation of our vaccines is completely different. But I feel like it has to be centralized and it has to be organized. And really the only organizations that can do that effectively are government. It's funny because I think about where I'm living now and I don't think government will do it. I actually think it'll come from the business community, the private sector, because they're the ones who will determine and it will be different. It will be totally imbalanced, but it'll depend on sort of regionally or at the state or provincial level. But I don't think it'll be top down in the United States. It is such a litigious country that what will happen is some company will tell their employees that in order to come into work, they need to produce a passport, evidence that shows that they are fully vaccinated, and someone will challenge it and say it's infringing upon their liberty, their rights, and their freedoms, and it will go through the courts, and the courts will decide. And once the courts decide, then there will either be a level of compliance or not. But I have a feeling that that is the path it will take in the United States. Now, that might not happen in other countries. You, no, you, no. You've I, heard of other th- examples of it happening in other places in the world. Yes. And I think an integrated approach is so much more um, beneficial for citizens and for the system itself. So one example would be Denmark. And I know there's many other European countries where they're they're taking a real holistic approach to data and to citizen information. So they've got what they call the Corona passport. And it's not even just about vaccines. It's about, um, have you been tested for COVID in the last period of time, like 72 hours, 48 hours? Have you been um, diagnosed with COVID and you're now in recovery? And then the third piece is, vac- is have you had the vaccine? So using your phone and a, you know a simple um, QR code, you are able to have the freedoms to move around society. It's your choice then to go into a restaurant or to go in, go to a concert or a sporting event because you can prove it. And if, if you, even if you haven't had the vaccine, if you've had the test, you can also prove that you've had a negative test result and that's as good as well. So I think that that sort of integrated approach would be the best of all, that you're not just focusing on vaccine, you're look, you're really thinking about the contact tracing piece of it as well, because I think the reality of us reaching herd immunity around the world is probably impossible. But you know, the, when you talk about Denmark, I start to think about issues of equity. We're talking about a developed country with a population of 6 million where 64% of their population is fully vaccinated. Then, because I Googled it, (laughs) you look at Kenya, where only 1.3% of their population is fully vaccinated, and it's a population of 52.5 million people. Brazil, I've heard varying numbers that between 22 and 36% of their population are vaccinated out of 211 million. India, 8.5% have been vaccinated out of a population of 1.366 billion. So to require a passport that demonstrates that you've been vaccinated in places where the rollout is so much slower, how do you address the equity issue there, you know, though there, and it's not just about travel. Those people are not traveling for luxury. <laughs> no, you know, no. we, it's not a first world problem for them. It no. might be about access to a job or school, mm-hmm. right? Or so, freedom or freedom. Yes. Yeah. In war torn countries or countries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where you're being persecuted mm-hmm. and need to escape. So how do you address that issue when it comes to something 
like a vaccine passport that might be required by other countries. Yeah, it's. It, I agree with you, Doran. It's it's a huge issue. And then you wonder, is it even a timing issue? Do you say, okay, we'll wait until a larger po- group of people around the world have been vaccinated, and then you you issue a passport? And it's just, it's so complex. There's so many aspects to this, even when you look at the the types of vaccines people are receiving, if it's the AstraZeneca vaccine, if it's some of the you know, Moderna and Pfizer, and then, and then other vaccines being created in different countries. And then how you manage that even with the, with the COVID passport is also really complicated. Yeah. Because right now there are some, uh, some vaccines that are not recognized by certain countries where they haven't been approved. So that introduces a whole other dimension of what qualifies as an acceptable vaccine to appear on that passport. Okay. So here's another question. And then we're going to wrap up. How long do you think we need to use these vaccine passports for? Mm. Come on, Anne. <laughs> I don't know. I I feel like we're at a tipping point with this, though, that even when the next highly contagious virus or disease comes along, we will continue to need this sort of, of identification. So I feel like, yeah, maybe it's it's a year or two or three with COVID-19, but who knows what, you know, the next thing will be after COVID-19. And I know, I know you're, you're grimacing at me, Doran, but there's going to be more of this. And I think that we're now entering a realm of, of like a social consciousness around the world that, that we need to know if you are safe or not. And if you've taken the precautions you need, and I think this is going to just continue, but it will be with other illnesses. Life living with viruses. <laughs> so much fun. Oh. All right. Well, on that happy note, uh, we're going to wrap up. But thank you for joining us. This has been Civic Talk with Doran Greenwood and Anne Matthews. Tune in next time.